Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 194. Today is July 2nd, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, this afternoon, I'm recording this podcast while I'm out celebrating the 4th of July weekend and in particular celebrating the second anniversary of the Wellsteading Podcast. So I was taking some time this afternoon to go out for a hike and uh, to incorporate a a couple hobbies into my weekend activity, walking with my dog. And I I threw my MP3 recorder in my pocket. I thought if I I got out there and I had some inspiration, I might want to record a podcast episode. And and that's exactly what I'm going to do today. So I'm not sure if you can hear the wind blowing in the background or the birds chirping or some airplanes going overhead. But uh, in any case, I'm sitting in a nice shady spot in a very relaxing location, just a a little bit from where I actually live. It it wasn't a far hike. It's in the foothills that surround my home here in Utah. I like to come out here and and walk with my dog. It gives me a a time to get a little bit bit of uh, exercise and to do a lot of uh, thinking and and mental contemplation, planning, things like that. So for me, it, it combines, it stacks a number of functions. It's healthy for me to get out of the office and get out and walk. I have the ability to go out and interact with nature, so that's mentally stimulating. At the same time, I can focus and reflect and, uh, you know, meditate on whatever I need to, whether it be a particular stock trade that I'm working on or a business application or just something in my personal life. But it's an opportunity to get out, to be alone, to have some exercise, and maybe sometimes I'm not alone. I I might bring a family member or a friend. I almost always have my dog with me. So it's something that's really enjoyable and relaxing, and it it reinvigorates me, and at the same time, I find it very productive. That's exactly what I wanted to talk to you in this episode, and and kind of celebrating the overall second anniversary of this podcast. I wanted to focus on something that wasn't necessarily related to money, but had a great deal to do with happiness and your personal freedom, which ultimately extends to you building your personal net worth, and, and I think ultimately making more money. And that's the happiness that can be derived from something like a hobby. Now, I'm going to use the the word hobby very broadly. It may mean getting exercise. It may mean a particular craft that you do. It could be a sporting activity like playing tennis or golf. It could be making quilts or solving crossword puzzles. Whatever it is that you like to do that refreshes and energizes and recharges you. It's not something that you normally hear people talk about when they're talking about finances or wealth building, but I think it's very critical. And that's why I wanted to bring it up now in this episode, and, and you've heard me talk about this before. I know specifically we talked about hobbies in relationship to uh, people that are retired and preparing for retirement. But hobbies are, are key to you having a happy life, and I think not only a happy and a healthy life, but also a financially independent life. What I mean by that is that I believe that if you pursue the right hobbies— It'll help you in all elements of your life. Again, it's that stacking functions. And so when you look at the options that you have for uh, taking on a new hobby or pursuing a hobby, you have a choice in the matter. And so rather than selecting a hobby that's simply going to waste time, and wasting time is probably not the best term to use because, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So when one person is wasting time, it it may be incredibly uh, uh, energizing to somebody else. In fact, I'm going to just thought of something I want to comment on in a minute here. But what I want to encourage you to do when it comes to having a productive hobby is really a hobby, I guess what I'm saying is, is that stacks functions, much like I just talked about with my hike today. I'm getting exercise. I'm in a peaceful environment, so it's calming to me. I'm interacting with my dogs, and so there's an element of uh, you know, relationship building there. 
I'm recording a podcast, which is my personal hobby, but it also relates to my business. I also have a small transceiver with me, and I plan on making some uh, ham radio contacts while I'm out here today. So that ability to stack all those functions into one activity, to me, is productivity. While I come out here and spend a couple hours, I'm getting the exercise, I'm getting the mental stimulation. If you throw in the aspects of this podcast and the fact that I'll probably make some contacts with my ham radio, I'm also getting in social interaction that is you know, beyond just the relationship between me and my pet. These are all important aspects that I probably wouldn't be having if I just sat for two hours in front of the TV set or played a video game or looked at cat videos on YouTube. But again, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And if you're someone that does enjoy playing video games, well, you can probably implement some of these other things I've talked about into that activity. You can play games against other people, either in person or or virtually, so you get some human interaction that way. Uh, Obviously, playing a a video game is going to give you hand and eye coordination. Not, I don't think, really going to get any physical exercise necessarily about it, but it is going to stimulate your mind etc etc so again beauty is in the eye of the beholder but I'd really encourage you to go out and find those hobbies that both energize and refresh you at the same time and those elements alone will make you more productive when you're at work so even if your hobby isn't necessarily tied to money making the fact that you have an outlet that that allows you uh, to become rested and refreshed makes you a more productive person and so from that aspect alone you make more money Now, the more that you can tie that hobby into making money or perhaps having you spend less money in your leisure time, then that's going to contribute to your overall net worth. So looking at a really rudimentary example of what I'm doing this afternoon, I'm out walking in the foothills with my dog. It's costing me virtually no money. I'm getting refreshed and energized by it. I'm getting some exercise, which keeps me more more healthy. And at the same time, in this particular case, I'm recording a podcast Although I don't directly derive income from the podcast, it ultimately does contribute to my overall net worth. And then at the same time, doing podcasts isn't something to me that I consider a job or stressful or something that I have a deadline to meet. I don't ever have that aspect when it comes to my blogging or my podcast because they're not directly monetized. You know, maybe time consuming, but it's not stressful because it's much like the pursuit of a hobby. If you're someone that likes to garden or knit or make a quilt, those activities are very time-consuming. But chances are, if you've selected them to be your hobby, you find them refreshing and enjoyable. And to the extent that it's hard work or that it requires a great deal of concentration or the uh, time commitments you put into it, it's something that's very personally rewarding for you. And so a hobby in a lot of ways is like an art. It's an expression of your own creativity, and you really can't put a value on it, even though it can be very uh, personally enriching and emotionally stabilizing for you. Now, much like I talk about building wealth or what career you should select to go into or uh, what type of specific stock trading system you should use or whether you should invest in real estate or you know whatever it is that's going to be your path to financial independence. Uh, if you've listened to our past episodes here, you know that I'm not dogmatic. One of my favorite episodes is the one where I say that the, the best trading system is the one that works for you. You might like to trade in long-term options. You might like to trade Forex. You might like to invest in multifamily real estate. Well, if you can make it work for you, that's great. Now, sometimes you'll hear me say, hey, I wouldn't 
you know, necessarily recommend you go down this particular path because I think it's a scam or I think that it's not productive. And I say those things just based on my, you know, 30 plus years of experience in investing and then my overall I would hope maturity and wisdom it it being, you know, in my mid-50s, I've lived a long time. I've experienced a lot of things. I've seen people make money. In fact, I've really spent over 30 years of my personal life studying the millionaire next door so that I could become one. And I have a general sense of what works and what doesn't. And so I may try and steer you in one direction or another, and that's really just to get you thinking. You know, it's like, hey, is that thing that you're involved with, is that really going to lead to making you money? Or is it just a scam? And maybe I'll give you some backup information of why I think it it may be fruitless for you to do that. But ultimately, if you can make it happen for you, that's all that really matters. The same thing with a career. You know, I know people that are doctors that are extremely wealthy and happy. I know other people that are doctors that are living paycheck to paycheck and they're miserable. Same thing with someone that you may consider a blue-collar worker or what I would consider a highly skilled craftsman, you know, someone that works with their hands or more of an artistic flair that, that creates things with their, with their hands. A lot of these crafts or trades are not necessarily associated with people that can, that can build a significant amount of wealth. But trust me, there are a lot of people in traditional blue-collar trades that are skilled craftsmen that are financially independent. But it's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to be successful as a medical professional, nor is everybody going to be successful as a carpenter. I mean, that's the beauty of the world that we live in. We're over 7 billion individuals on this earth, all with different talents and abilities, and we're all there to serve other people. That's how you make your mark. That's how you make your income. Ah, but I'm digressing. Let's get back to the hobby part of it. So much like I can't tell you the exact path to wealth for you or the exact career for you, I can't tell you what the perfect hobby is for you. But whatever it is, it's going to be something that you enjoy, something that you naturally have an affinity to that draws you to it. And let me give you an example. I want you to think of, of two men that just both put in an extremely hard day at work doesn't matter whether they're blue-collar or white-collar workers, but both of these men, and, and you know, one of them could be a woman. It does, sex doesn't matter in this thing. I'm just, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. Imagine these two individuals that just put in 15-hour days at work. It was very long and excruciating and stressful. It was both physically demanding as well as mentally challenging. They've just come home. They've completed that long 15 hours at work, and they want to relax. Now, one of these individuals is extroverted, and the other individual is introverted. The extrovert is going to relax and recharge, uh, re-energize themselves by coming home, taking a shower, and then going out and finding a, a very fun, energetic party that they can participate in, and they want to be the center of attention. And that's exactly how they're going to relax. They're going to spend, you know, even even though they just spent 15 hours at work, they're going to spend maybe four or five hours into the wee hours in the morning, maybe dancing or telling jokes or, you know, just interacting with their friends. They're going to maybe do some some alcoholic beverages, but they're going to unwind by spending a lot of time with their friends and being the center of attention at some kind of a party or social event. That's how someone that's an extrovert maybe would relax after a very hard, stressful, demanding day at work. On the other hand, the other person, they're introverted. They came home from that very demanding job. They took a shower and they're going to kick back and read a book. Maybe they're going to finish that novel that they started, or perhaps it's a, it's a historical nonfiction book. It doesn't matter what it is. They're going to curl up in a comfortable chair. They're going to have some good lighting. 
They're maybe going to have something to drink. And they're going to sit back, and for the next few hours, they're going to do nothing but immerse themselves in the book that's written about the topic that they're interested in. The next day, when both of these people get up and they go to work, they're going to be completely refreshed, recharged. They're going to be ready to go hit the day and be productive because they got the proper rest and relaxation and, you know, downtime that they needed to recharge themselves both mentally and physically. But they did it in two completely different endeavors. In fact, those two activities were so 180 degrees out of phase that had you made the extrovert go home and read a book or had you made the introvert go home and then go to a party, it would have been more stressful than those 15 hours that they put in at work. The extrovert would have felt claustrophobic and bored and totally uncomfortable sitting on a couch all night reading a book and at the same time the introvert would have been totally uncomfortable going to a party and having to be the center of attention. Both of those individuals in the wrong activity would have suffered all types of stress and anxiety and been and been far more burned out than anything that they had to do at work that day. That's the uniqueness of why a particular hobby or uh, rest and relaxation type activity has to appeal to you personally. Just because it's right for someone else doesn't mean it's going to be right for you. So choose your hobbies wisely, but, but definitely choose them. You know, another reason I want to do this topic is because when I was a younger guy, probably in my mid-20s, I was talking to um, a general in the Army. And this is at a time in my life when you know, I was contemplating having a, a long-term career in the military. And I had an opportunity to speak with this general, you know, this very senior officer, um, and he gave me some advice. And one of the things, well, actually, in fact, the, the only thing, the primary thing that he told me had to do with hobbies. And at the time, right, I'm a young guy. I'm, you know, say 25, something like that. I'm arrogant, and I think I know everything. And I'm wondering why this guy's talking about hobbies. I'm talking about a career in the military. He's talking about hobbies. Now, this particular guy wasn't like a general patent. He wasn't a combat arms infantry guy. He was what we would lovingly refer to as a staff puke. You know, he had spent 25 years probably shuffling papers in the Army. He worked at the Pentagon. He had a bunch of assignments, but they were all pretty much mid-level, kind of time-wasting bureaucratic jobs, and I'm obviously showing my bias here. But it, it wasn't like he was in an exciting Rambo-like career in the military. He was very much a staff officer that spent a lot of hours at a desk pushing papers. That kind of lifestyle didn't appeal to me, and so I tended to disregard the, um, the recommendations that he gave me about hobbies, which now, looking back in retrospect, now that I'm in my 50s, I think he was actually pretty much right on with what he was saying. His advice to me, though, was that if I went into the military as an officer, regardless of what branch of the Army I got assigned to, what I should focus on is having two hobbies. I should have an outdoor hobby and an indoor hobby. And he said that in that way, no matter where you're assigned, because if you're in the military, chances are you're going to get an assignment all around the world. You may be in a combat zone sometimes. You may be in, you know, the, the Pentagon, other assignments. You may be in Antarctica. Or you could find yourself in the middle of North Carolina. I mean, right, you could be anywhere if you're in the military. could be in the desert. could be in the mountains. could be at the ocean. His recommendation was have those two hobbies. Have an indoor hobby and an outdoor hobby. Take those with you wherever you go. And that would help you mitigate the stress and the turmoil of, of being a senior officer in the military. Now, again, I was like 25 years old. I thought, ah, oh, this guy's probably senile, doesn't know what he's talking about. But again, looking back on it, it's probably actually pretty good advice, no matter what type of career you're in. 
because you need that downtime to be able to recharge and, and relax yourself so that you can get up the next day and go to your job no matter what it is. That's what's going to make you more productive. That's what's going to make you a better employee. That's what's going to make you a better entrepreneur. That's what's going to make you more creative and expressive in, in no matter what endeavor that you're pursuing to make your income. I would also add, now knowing what I do um, in terms of, of building wealth and you know, being a millionaire next door type lifestyle, that hobby is also critically important because if you can figure out a way to monetize it, then you'll never go to work a day in your life. You'll just live your whole lifestyle pursuing your hobbies, and some of those hobbies will directly provide a stream of income to you. And that's pretty much where I've lined myself up at now. You know, I consider myself really someone that's, quote, retired, but I get up and go to work every day. You know, I'm, it's a Saturday afternoon on the 4th of July weekend. I did real physical-related work this morning before I came out on my, on my hike, and I'll do other work over the weekend. But to me, it's not work. You know, I don't punch a clock. I work for myself, and you know what? I'm the best boss I've ever had. It's one of those things that when I pick up my laptop or my iPhone or I log into my computer and, you know, say the first thing that comes up is, is a stock screen or it's my emails that I'm, I'm getting from clients, that's second nature to me. That's not, I'm not saying, oh, no, it's stressful. I got to look at this charter. Oh, no, I got to deal with this client. That's not at all what I experience. I'm, I'm excited and energized by it like you would be when you're, you know, solving a, a Rubik's Cube or a, a crossword puzzle or doing Sudoku or whatever that math thing is called. The way that I've set up my career is not one that's um, stressful in terms of anxiety. It can be very stressful in terms of, you know, hours worked or, or concentration time put into it. But it's not high anxiety in terms of being out of balance with who I am or what I want to do or what I feel that I can achieve. And so in effect, you know, what I do for a career is really just an extension of my hobbies, the things that I would be doing anyways and otherwise. In fact, that's how I you know, ultimately stumbled into uh, having my own financial firm is that I, you know, I was putting in an inordinate amount of time trading and tracking my own portfolio. And so to take on a friend or a client to do theirs was really no more incremental work because I was already investing my own portfolio. And the things that I invest other people in are the same things that I invest myself in. And so, you know, initially it was really no incremental work at all. And that's how you, you know, kind of start to go from a hobby business to a professional business. You start with your family and then your friends. And then ultimately word of mouth spreads and then you advertise and you go out beyond your normal, you know, circle of influence. And then obviously at that point it, it does become work in terms of that taking on a new client or a new customer it's more than just a little incremental time frame. It takes more effort and energy to work with that client or to meet the needs of producing the product or service for the particular customer, but it isn't so foreign or alien to what you would naturally be doing uh, that it's like a fish out of water, which, you know, incidentally is a great expression. And many times in my life when I was pursuing other careers or, you know, involved in other money-making ventures, even, you know, as, as a young teenager or something doing a job, you know that some things you did, you felt like a fish out of water. You felt like a fish trying to ride a bicycle. It just wasn't what you were meant to do. And that's why you had that anxiety. And so to the extent that you can find a hobby that you can ultimately monetize, that's even better. The other thing about hobbies when it comes to stacking functions and trying to make them more productive than, than just an, a, a single individual standalone activity is find things that complement themselves. For example, maybe you're someone that likes to golf or you like to play tennis 
well, that's not a sport that you're doing by yourself. So you're in, you know, in tennis, going to have at least one other partner. In golf, you might be doing a foursome. But that's a great opportunity to not only get the physical exercise and the hand-eye coordination, but you're also building a social and an emotional relationship with another human being. And to tie that into work, particularly in something like golf, I mean, the reason that so many executives golf is because that it's a great way to build and network with people in your industry. You go out with three other guys, you play a round of golf that takes, you know, four hours, and you're building relationships. So that's a, a way of stacking functions. It may be also mundane things that, that, again, have nothing to do with your particular career. I have a number of hobbies and interests, and they're, they're wide and, and diverse. You know, as I've become older, one of my overall favorite hobbies is amateur radio or ham radio. You've heard me talk about that a lot if you've listened into the podcast. I bring that up now because to some people, that could be not only the most boring, but also the most arcane and obsolete hobby of all time. But what's funny about that is, is, you know, as I've been in this hobby and as I've met people, I would say that better than 75% of the people that I met are extremely technical astute. They're not Luddites that, uh, you know, live in the past and, and just, uh, you know, use old technologies. On the contrary, these are, in many cases, people that are on the extreme cutting edge of electronics, communications, uh, you know, computer networking. And at the same time, they, they find an interest in something that can be considered, uh, you know, an obsolete uh, source of communication. But you see, there's much more to the hobby of ham radio than just using some type of old primitive tube technology from uh, something from the early part of last century. Now, there are people that like classic radios or what we would call boat anchor radios from, uh, you know, the basically post-World War II days, but there are other people that are dealing in, you know, the really most intricate and high-speed communications, whether it be satellite communications or digital modes of communication, and they're adapting those into the ham radio hobby. There are people that do the hobby simply because they, they want to get on the evening at night and just what we call rag chew, you know, they just talk to their buddies around the country each evening to talk about a current events or the weather or to complain about their wives or, you know, whatever they do. There are other people that, that never really even hold what we would consider true communication. They just want to do contesting where they're out there trying to contact the most stations across the world or in a particular geographic region. And, and really all they're communicating is, uh, is a location and a signal report. Some of those people do it through voice communications. Other people do it digitally. They do it either through computer-to-computer -computer communication, or they use the old-school method of, of Morse code. And you'd say, well, Morse code, I mean, why would, why would anybody want to do that? Well, it's crazy. For years, I didn't get into the hobby of ham radio because I either couldn't or didn't want to learn Morse code. And then at some point, the FCC lifted that requirement, and, and I, did get into, I did get into the hobby. But, you know, once I got into the hobby... After a few years of, of doing the voice communications, I became very interested in learning Morse code. And so one of the things that you'll see me doing right now in my spare time is practicing Morse code. I have a little key that I'll carry around with me, and I, I do that little dit-dot thing, and that's exactly what I mean. If you're not familiar with Morse code, it's, it's communicating words and messages using nothing more than a dot or a dash, which we refer to as a dit or a da. Now, how more boring of a hobby can that be? Well, again, it's, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I'm not going to argue that it's an interesting hobby, but I, I will, again, stress that I know a lot of people in this hobby. And I'll tell you, a good 75% of them can attribute some aspect 
of the hobby of amateur radio to helping them advance in their career. You know, whether they're a computer scientist or whether they're an electronic engineer or maybe they're a police officer and you know, just the aspect of uh, voice communication on ham radio helped them get their job as a dispatcher or help them better understand, um, you know, the communications networks and where they work. The thing that I want to close with and really emphasize in this episode is that you need a hobby. And the more productive it can be, the more that you can stack functions, the even better. You know, for example, if your hobby was in dealing with woodworking, that's a very productive hobby because you could build furniture or different types of, of pieces of, of artwork out of wood that would be extremely expensive to purchase. And they would also be unique to your uh, degree of, of creativity. And then you could either use those you know, pieces of furniture or something in your own life. You could give them away as gifts. Um, but in any case, these are things that are going to last you know, literally maybe 100 years, multi-generational. And so even when you're long departed from this earth, the items that you created as your hobby in working with woodwork can last and be a legacy and an heirloom for for generations to come. And again, that's something that perhaps maybe you could even turn into a a money-making enterprise and, and, you know, take it out of just being a hobby to being something that actually creates an income stream for you. And even with something like woodworking, much like ham radio, you can take that hobby into any direction that works best for you. And that's why you'll be most successful with it, because it will be unique, whatever you create. So, hey, happy Fourth of July weekend. Thanks for sticking with me for these past couple years and being part of the Wellsteading podcast community. As always, until the next episode, this is John Pugliano. Wishing you the very best of return.